0: Okay, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, why don't you go there with me here this morning, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and as you're turning there, I'll kind of give you just a little bit of a, um, <clears throat> kind of an update on, on what's going on. So my name is Caleb Reed, as you know, I, I have a wife, her name is Emma, uh, we have a couple kids, so Gilbert is two years old, and then I've got a little girl named Ginger, Ginger is only eight weeks old, so she was born right before Christmas, and then she uh, uh, we had to leave the North. Uh, originally, I am from the state of Maine. Maine is where I grew up. So I'm a born and raised New England you know, Yankee, as you would all call down here, which is funny because when, when the first time I, we got called the Yankees, I thought, no way, we're Boston Red Sox fans. Don't ever say that. I'm not a Yankee fan. That, uh, oh, okay, that's, that's a different, okay, never mind. Uh, so first I took real, real offense to that. And now I agree. No, I'm, I'm a Yankee through and through. Yeah, well, hey, you know, I'm not a Cardinals fan. That's true. And, uh, you're a Cardinals fan. Okay, well, we know where we need to have the strongest preaching. You know, over. Here. I'm just kidding, brother. So, uh, born and raised in Maine, my dad was a pastor for several years, and then uh, was out of the ministry, uh, and just served in our local church, and he was in the forestry business, so that's kind of how I grew up there. Uh, when I was 18, I went to an academy in East Texas, it was a search and rescue academy, so I went out there, and it was uh, just, Lord, you really used it. Uh, it, it was very influential in my life, in yielding to the Lord uh, during that time, so after I finished that program, my dad asked me if I'd consider Bible college, and uh, I was afraid that if I went to Bible college, God would call me to preach. Which is interesting because I thought I wanted to be a police officer. I guess I watched too much Truck Norris. Felt like that was the world I wanted to go into. And the Lord, in His mercy, graciously, uh, when I first—I think it was the first week, third night—in of of the opening meetings of Bible college, God brought the hammer down. And in His gracious mercy, uh, He called me to preach. And I had known it for years, but had always wrestled against it. And uh, that night, surrendered to the Lord. And and I'm not just saying this uh, because I'm supposed to. I. I I am so thankful that God called me to preach. It's what I'm made for. It's what he made me to do, and I would not be fulfilled in any other vocation. And so I'm I'm thrilled by that. I went through Bible college, uh, finished Bible college, went through seminary, and then after seminary, uh, my wife and I got married, and then our first child was born in 2019, and then in the beginning of 2020, is when we, uh, the Lord just had clearly led through a number of different circumstances, led us to launch into full-time evangelism. So 2020 was a unique year for all of us. And certainly um, all of my, uh, from basically January to, well, maybe about March, March to May, everything canceled, everything we had. And uh, so we were, I was painting houses for my father-in-law just to make ends meet and saying, Lord, what are you doing? And the Lord taught us many things through that. But then the second half of the year, the Lord took care of. And then this last year, we were on the road the entire year. Uh, Last summer, we were able to purchase a fifth-wheel travel trailer. And then last fall, we were able to purchase a truck. And so now that is our permanent home. We closed down. We had an apartment in Milwaukee. That's where our, our home church is now. Our home base is in Milwaukee. Uh, so we, we closed down our apartment there and lived for about six months out of our minivan. Uh, never had to sleep in it, vol- or certainly not voluntarily. We had to drive through the night and slept in it, but not, um, not had to like, spend a night in it. The Lord always provided, but then the Lord provided the funds. And I don't have time to tell you the whole story, uh, but sitting out in the, in the parking lot is uh, a 2022 F-350. It's got 4,000 miles on it. It's brand new, basically, and it's paid for. And if you know what trucks cost... And uh, I'm young, okay, I turn 30 next month here in just a couple of weeks, so I'm young. Uh, The Lord did it. Um, There's no other way to explain it. I don't have time to tell you the whole story. Our trailer, uh, the trailer is 2017. It's a 40-foot fifth wheel, and the Lord paid for it. I mean, it's, it's completely paid for and I'm not into the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel, but I know that God still delivers in very real and tangible ways. So I'm just giving. We want to give glory to the Lord because of what He's done for us. So that's what we travel in full time. So I was just. We had some revival meetings over in East Texas, and uh, we were on our way up to a Bible conference in Wisconsin. We stopped at Southland for the weekend because I'd never really spent any time there. Wanted to meet Brother Mike Herbster and just get get acquainted there. And he called me yesterday. I was I was in a fella's basement helping him work on some plumbing, uh, and he Brother Mike calls me and says, Hey. I got a church that needs some help and said, well, that's what we're here for. So send us, you know, so my wife, we got a long trip tomorrow and Tuesday. So my wife did not come down just because it was going to be, ended up being a lot of hours in the car for our children. And so she's up there at that church there and I'm here and uh, uh, boy, Louisiana roads are are something else. I'll just say I have been Shreveport route 20 coming out of Shreveport is unbelievable. I, y'all, y'all could uh, put chiropractors in business uh, for sure. But anyways, okay, so we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 here this morning. We're actually going to look a little bit in chapter 11, the end part of chapter 11, and then move into chapter 12. Uh, This morning, as I was praying and asking the Lord God what he would have for us in this uh, this service here, uh, I believe this is the text the Lord led us to. Uh, what we're going to be dealing with this morning is the power source for the Christian life. I think every single one of us, if you are, if you are a born-again believer here this morning, you recognize that God has a will, God has a, a desire for you to fulfill, and yet God's purpose for you and, and the desire for you to fulfill will not be, will never be achieved in my own human effort. I think we all understand that, at least philosophically, maybe theologically, but do we understand it practically, Because the reality is the power source of the Christian life, it's like putting diesel in a diesel truck and gas in a gas truck. You have to have the right fuel because if you cross the fuels, it doesn't work. And what God is going to, I believe, going to help us in understanding here this morning is that God's power, the power of Christ, rests upon those believers who are in tune with truth. And what we're going to be dealing with here this morning, what Paul deals with in 2 Corinthians, is that when it comes to living the Christian life, it's not up to how much power I have. It's not up to how spiritually mature I have. Paul in this text is going to reveal to us that I have come to understand that when the power of Christ flows, it flows. In my weakness. Now, for those of us here in this room who are of the male species, <laughs> specimen, we are made, God has made us with a desire to conquer. That's, that's what, how God made us. And yet every single male in this room and every single female needs to come to understand that when it comes to our spiritual power, when it comes to walking the Christian life, I will never achieve anything by trying harder, even though that's what my flesh wants to do. In other words, your flesh is constantly fighting against you to say, hey, if you're going to achieve anything for God, you've got to try harder. And it's actually a very convincing argument because it seems so practical. But when it comes to the spiritual realm, God is saying, I do not bless those who have all the spiritual power. I do not bless those who have it all figured out. I don't bless those who will at the end of the day say, man, I'm a good Christian. He says, I only bless those. I give power to those who are weak which is not a comfortable place, and yet this morning, I hope this is a helpful message, but this actually, if you'll get a hold of this, this is an incredibly liberating message because we don't have to try harder any longer. Look with me in, in Second chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter eleven, the end of chapter eleven. Paul here is going to give us an argument. He, the reason he's writing this. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. Let's go ahead and stand. I'm sorry. Sometimes I'm, I, I, I get going and forget to do things like that. So let's stand out of, out of just respect to the Lord's word. And we're going to read. We're going to start in verse 29, and then I'm going to read to the end of the chapter, and we're going to uh, end of ch- uh, chapter 11, and then we'll we'll work through chapter 12 a little bit later. Uh, but we're just going to read these couple verses here. So the scripture says this: uh, Paul writing, "Who is weak?" And I am not weak. Who is offended and I burn not? If I must needs glory, I will glory of the things which concern mine infirmities. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is blessed forever, knoweth that I lie not. In Damascus, the governor under Aretas the king kept the city of Dam- uh, Damascenes with a garrison, desirous to apprehend me and through a window and a basket, was I let down by the wall and escaped his hand. Now jump down to verse uh, 7 of chapter 12. And lest I should be exalted above measure, through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in mine infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Father, in these few moments that we have, I ask that you would give us exactly what we need. Lord, I've only met these people just a few minutes ago, and yet you know, though I don't, you know what they're working through, what they're struggling with, what besetting challenge, besetting sin some are maybe dealing with this morning. And I ask, Father, that you would give us deliverance, that you would speak to us. Holy Spirit, I'm asking that you would fill this room and you would speak to our hearts. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. In context, here's what's going on. Paul is writing to the, uh, to the Corinthians because there has been a, a, a group of detractors that have, have made it known that they don't think Paul is really all that great of a Christian. In other words, these detractors in Corinth are basically saying, hey, Paul, we don't think that you're really that great of an apostle just because you had some weird vision back on the road where you fall off your horse. That's not that big of a deal. Uh, Paul, other people can church, plant churches. Paul, other people can preach the gospel. You have no authority over us. And Paul's response to these detractors, of course, he's a man, you understand, who, who went through incredible toil and turmoil for the cause of the gospel, being shipwrecked, being beaten, being stoned, uh, giving of his own lifeblood, a, a man who was so committed and dedicated, especially to the church at Corinth. These men are incredibly disrespectful, and so in his response to these detractors, who have basically said, Paul, you think you're, 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 you're all that in a bag of chips, and we don't think you are, Paul, in his response to this, begins to defend his apostolic authority and he says look hey I saw God God spoke to me the gospel that I am giving you and he, the same message he gives in Galatians look the gospel I'm giving to you is truth it's purity and if anyone distracts you from that gospel you're off the deep end no I'm telling you what God gave to me you ought to listen to me because I have apostolic authority however when it comes to Paul and who Paul is Little old Paul, Paul does not stand up to his uh, detractors, does not stand up to those who are accusing him and criticizing him. He does not stand up and say, look, you ought to listen to me because I'm a good Christian. No, Paul says, when it comes to me and who I am, I'm actually incredibly weak. You ought to listen to me because it's God's message and God's message is power. When it comes to Paul, though, I am weak. Look with me there in verse 29. He says this, who is weak and I I am not weak who is offended and I burn not if I must needs glory I will glory of the things which concern mine infirmities so here's what he's trying to get across he's saying look when it comes to spiritual ability and spiritual power there's not one Christian who has a corner on spiritual power over another in other words your pastor uh, Pastor Creel I've never met him but I talked to him briefly on the phone yesterday pastor who maybe has been saved for longer than some here maybe has gone to and done Bible education more than some here that does not give pastor it does not give me a a deeper, a fuller power than you who are sitting in the pew. In other words, just because I have a bachelor's and a master's does not mean I have any more spiritual power to live the Christian life than someone who got saved yesterday. Because the truth is, and what Paul is saying is every single one of us, we are incredibly weak. Now, in this passage, he's not dealing with physical strength. In other words, he's not saying, hey, I'm weak. I, you know, I can't even do a push-up. That's not what he's talking about. He's dealing with spiritual strength. He's dealing with the power to be able to get into the word and to mean anything to him. He's talking about the power over temptation. He's talking about the ability to have a, uh, the, the right word to give someone the gospel. He's talking about the power uh, to stand against those who have denied the gospel and to, to speak with authority. He's talking about the power to love a wife. He's talking about the power to, to say no to pornography. He's talking about the spiritual power. That's what he's dealing with here. And when it comes to spiritual power, boy, Paul's got to have something together, doesn't he? Paul, who wrote the majority of the New Testament. Paul, who uh, probably when it comes to, to, to philosophical education and, and spiritual education, religious education, the man was, would have multiple PhDs in our, in our understanding today. But when it comes to spiritual power, Paul says, I'm weak. Now, that word weak that he uses, he's not saying, like, you know, I'm, I'm kind of strong. In other words, I've got a little bit of strength. No, he's saying when it comes to spiritual power, I have nothing. Oftentimes, when we think of the word weakness, if we, if we were to say, if someone heard this morning, hey, Pastor Creel, is, is, he's, he's feeling pretty weak. Okay, we would all think, well, he's feeling pretty weak. He can probably get out of bed, but he's, he's not strong enough to preach. So we, we, would think, we often think of weaknesses in, in comparative strength, okay? So I'll try to illustrate this. If, uh, if Brother Kirk and I, if he came down here and, and he and I were going to have an arm wrestling match, uh, looking at his biceps and looking at mine, which they're not very big, uh, who do you think would win? If, if Brother Kirk came down here and we had an arm wrestling match, who would win? Come on. Be, okay, Kirk, Okay, Mama says Kirk for sure, Okay. We, uh, and I'll, I'll tell you, I'm not very strong. Okay, so Kirk comes down here. He and I have an arm wrestling match. I probably couldn't even put up that long of a fight. Kirk would probably beat me in an arm wrestling match pretty quickly, which would prove Kirk is stronger, stronger than me, which would mean I'm weaker than Kirk. Now, if Blake, your son, came up here, you all know Blake, little guy? How old's Blake? Um, Drake. Drake. You don't, probably don't know Blake. Okay, Drake. How old's, how old's Drake? What's was that? Four. Okay, so if if four-year-old Blake comes up here, Drake comes up here, and he and I have an arm-wrestling match, even though I'm weaker than Kirk, Drake comes up here, and he and I have an arm-wrestling match, who's going to win? Of course I'm going to win. So in other words, the way we often think of power and the way we often think of weakness is, well, I'm not as strong as that, Christian, but at least I'm stronger than you, See, the way we usually think of weakness and strength is comparative. But Paul is not saying compared to, you know, compared compared to the Apostle Peter, I'm a little bit more advanced. He's not saying, you know, compared to James, I'm I'm a little bit weaker. No, he's saying when it comes to spiritual ability, I'm weak, meaning I'm bankrupt. The actual word here that's used in the Greek New Testament is the idea of a complete absence of strength. A complete negation of strength. In other words, Paul is saying, spiritually, I am a paraplegic. I've got nothing. Now, church family, that message to you may not seem encouraging. But this morning, you cannot appreciate the understanding of what 2 Corinthians chapter 12 is dealing with. You cannot understand the power of Christ rests upon me. You will not understand it. You will not appreciate it. And you will not access it until you first understand I am weak. So, in other words, spiritually, church family... You have no power tomorrow morning to rise up in the morning and get, in, get into the word and it's mean anything to you. Even if you've been saved for 40 years, even if you have a tradition and a ritual of always being in the word, when it comes to you and your ability and me and my ability, I cannot make the word come alive, no matter how hard I try. I can go outside and I can knock on doors for, for eight hours, but when it comes to my ability to convince that person that they need to get the gospel, I have nothing. I have nothing to offer. In fact, the reality is, as a preacher, when I come and stand behind the pulpit, I have no power to convince you of anything in that word unless the Lord does it. So we all have to come to realize we are just like Paul. He's saying, look, I'm just as weak as you are. And the truth is, though I've just met you all, you all look a lot like me. And I know I'm bankrupt of power. So you say, well, that's not a really helpful message. Church family, if you don't get a hold of this, if you don't begin to, to to embrace this truth, you will never receive the power of Christ. It's like this: if you're giving someone the gospel and you go out and you sit down with them, and you're going to give the guy the gospel, he's he's saved or lost. Excuse me, he's on his way to hell. You're going to give him the law. You're going to hey, look, did you know that the scripture says, "Thou shalt not lie, thou shalt not covet, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not uh, 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 bear false witness"? Uh, you're not supposed to. Uh, you're supposed to honor the, your your parents and and keep the Sabbath. You're going to deal with the fact. You're going to get him to the point where he realizes, man. I deserve hell. You're going to quote Romans chapter uh, 3, verse 23 and six twenty-three, and you're going to give him the Romans row. You're going to explain to him, look, you, because of your sin, you deserve to go to hell. Because you have cussed God's name and because you swore against him, God says, I will not hold him guiltless. And he says, the wages of sin is death. You've got to realize that you deserve to go to hell. If you were giving someone the gospel, that's how you would do it. And the reality is a gospel that does not give them the bad news first will rarely be effective. They have to understand what they're saved from. So if you give them the gospel, you're going to start with the law first, and they need to realize their deplorable state. Church family, it is the exact same way in the Christian life. When a man begins to realize, man, I, if I die tomorrow, I on my way to hell, and I will burn for eternity with the devil and his angels, and I will sink into an everlasting pit where there is torment and weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. And if I die tonight, I am on my way to an eternal damnation. And when he begins to realize that, and then you give him the good news of Jesus Christ, that person, if the spirit is working in him, is beginning, going to begin to say, man, Jesus Christ, I want him because he is my salvation. And no man trusts Christ until he realizes that he is going to die in hell. Church family, you will never access the power of Christ until you realize I've got nothing. See, the reality is there's a lot of us out here this morning and across America who are really trying to be good Christians because that's what we've been told we're supposed to be or do. In other words, there's some circles that say, hey, you better be out soul winning at least 14 hours a week hey man, you better be out uh, witnessing to that person and and you ought to be in that word, you ought to be going through the word at least once a year and you ought to be in prayer and and they actually can turn Christianity into a list of rules that we're supposed to do and some people, because of their discipline, get to the point where they do a lot. But God, Jesus Christ, did not come to this earth to save you, to give you a list of do's. God came to this earth to save you, to show you his power to show you his person, to show you his relationship. So what he's interested in is not a person who's got it all figured out for the Lord. He's interested in a person who says, Lord, I've got nothing and I need you. That's the person that Jesus can deliver. Look, brothers in this room, if there's someone in this room who is struggling with the issue of pornography, you say, why you bring that up? Because today in our evangelical churches, three out of every four men is struggling. According to the statistics, three out of every four men in our evangelical churches today are regularly viewing it. That's why I'm bringing it up because it's that big of a deal. Three out of every ten ladies in our evangelical churches today are struggling with this. You say, I can't believe it. You're going to have to get your head out of the sand. Because the reality is, it's ruining our churches, it's ruining our Christian schools, it's ruining our homes. And if we continue to think, well, that's deplorable, I can't believe anybody in my home would ever think about that, you actually may be missing something in your home. If there's a man in this room who's struggling with pornography, you are not shameful, you're captive, you're in bondage. And no matter how hard you try, if you think you have some ability to get out of it, you will stay in bondage. Jesus said in Luke chapter 4 when he came, he said, My purpose, my fulfillment is to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, to heal those who have been bruised. This morning, if you are struggling with some kind of sexual addiction, you will never find freedom until you come to the place where you realize, God, I've got nothing and I need you. And God, I can't keep this face up any longer. Lord, I need you because God's powers we'll find in chapter 12 rests on those who are weak. Church family, if I could have put it this way, would you be willing this morning to embrace your bankruptcy spiritually? Would you be willing this morning? Let me put it this way. Several years ago, uh, I heard a message that was dealt with out of this text and the preacher, his phrasing he used, and I just used it a minute ago, his, use, his phrasing was bankruptcy. And he challenged us to embrace bankruptcy. And I remember, uh, this would have been about five years ago, so I was, uh, I was either in seminary or, or finishing up college. I can't remember where I was exactly in the schooling. Uh, but when he preached that message, um, I had really climbed the ranks in my Bible college. I was the student body president of our school, uh, was one of the um, leaders in the student body, I was getting ready to be the dorm supervisor for the men's dorm on the, on the guy's side and really had climbed the ranks, had, gotten, had been disciplined, had said no to pornography, was really growing. And when he began to preach that, I remember sitting there in my, in my pew thinking, what? I've gone this long as a Christian. I've tried this hard and I've, tr- I've worked at it so much. and I've done the Christian disciplines and I've got out and I've done Bible studies and you're telling me I'm empty? You're telling me I'm weak? And I couldn't get a hold of the power of this passage because I was so distraught that I was spiritually bankrupt. And when the message was preached and the message was finished, I walked out of there discouraged because all I got was as the sinner saying, Man, I'm on my way to hell, but I never got the provision in Christ. And what Paul is trying to say here starts the argument by saying, you're weak, but the solution for your weakness is Christ, but he can only fall on those who are weak. So in other words, your weakness, church family, is not a roadblock to God delivering you. Your weakness is not a roadblock to God uh, speaking to you and answering your prayers. Your weakness is not a roadblock to getting into the word and, and receiving answers to prayer. Your weakness is not a roadblock. It's the pathway. In other words, it doesn't disqualify you from being able to be useful for God. It qualifies you. Look, if the pastor asked you, hey, um, there's an opportunity to do a Bible study in the high school with some teenagers. Uh, would you be willing to go with me? And you think, are you kidding me? I don't even know how to raise my own teenagers. I can't speak to teenagers. I don't like teenagers. They scare me. <laughs> I mean, I hardly was even a teenager. I just, been, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know how to do teenagers. And immediately you feel your weakness because you know you're weak. And that's the point where you ought to say, now, Lord, if you want me to do this. now the Lord doesn't always ask us to do those things. What you ought to say is, Lord, I'm weak and I know it. But you know, for some of us who are gifted in doing certain things, some of you are all are gifted and working with your hands. You're, you're gifted. If, if if pastor asks you to come to a project, some of you can do it, and you can do it well, and you actually may take pride in that. And what the Lord is calling you to do is say, hey, in every opportunity to serve, you need to come there saying, Lord, I'm weak, and unless you enable me, I've got nothing. When I step behind the pulpit, it is not because I have the the most prepared notes, the most prepared illustrations, the most uh, uh, that I've got the oratory skills that I learned. It's none of that. When I stand behind the pulpit, I know that unless God delivers, unless the Lord comes through, this will mean nothing. Church family, would you be willing to embrace your bankruptcy? Now I got to look at the time uh, that's up here on the podium, or else I'm gonna. Okay, so I'm almost, I'm almost out of time. So just bear with me. Now jump down to chapter 12. So here's he's going to make an argument. And I'm going to go through this quickly because I've taken a lot of time to set up the first part. He, in, in chapter 11, he says, look, I'm weak. I, I have spiritual authority because I'm an apostle. I have a spiritual authority because I, God gave me a message to give to you. which ch- Church family, the only reason a preacher has any authority is because he's giving you what God gave him. Not because he is the title pastor, not because he is the title evangelist, not because he is the title man of God, but because he is giving you the living word. And to the extent that he gives truth, you better listen. And if he gives you his own opinions, take it or leave it. But to the extent that he gives the power of the word, that's where the authority rests. So Paul's saying, I have authority, but it's not in myself. I am weak. Spiritually, I have got nothing. But, but Paul is saying, I've had some pretty amazing spiritual experiences, though. So look at chapter 12, beginning of chapter 12. He says this, it is not expedient for me doubtless to glory. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I knew a man in Christ about 14 years ago, whether in the body, I cannot tell, or whether out of the body, I cannot tell. God knoweth. Such an one caught up to the third heaven. Now, what he's doing here in these verses is he's explaining the fact that there was a time when he had a spiritual experience that's hard for him to even put into words. And when he says, I knew a man in Christ, he's actually speaking in third person. He's speaking of himself who was in Christ, a believer. He's speaking of himself. He's like, there's this man that I knew, meaning himself, whether it's in the body or whether I was out of the body, I don't even know, but I was caught up to the third heaven. Now the third heaven, in their understanding, you would have had the your, your cloud cover would have been considered your first heaven. Your stratosphere, the, the darker skies where your stars are and planets, that would have been considered your second heaven. The third heaven is where God dwells. That's your paradise. So he's saying, I was lifted up to the third heaven. And there I heard things and saw things so unspeakable. Look at verse 4. How I was caught up to paradise, heard unspeakable words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such an one will I glory, yet of myself I will not glory, but in my infirmity. So this is what he's saying in that passage. Look, I'm Paul and I've had some spiritual experiences. There have been times in my life where God has shown up and done things for me that I have stepped back and said, man, that was incredible. And the reality is, so have some of you. If we took time right now to tell stories about some of you who have seen divine appointments, you've seen God answered prayer, you've seen divine protection. I, some of you could tell some stories this morning where you would say, I saw God. He showed up, he delivered me and it was awesome. And so, and so does Paul. He has those experiences, too. But this is his whole point in sharing that. Look, I've had spiritual experiences, but I don't get excited about how the spiritual experience felt. What I get moved by is who I met in the experience or who gave it to me, who gave me the experience. That's who I get I get excited by. Let me give you a quick illustration to try to understand this point. Uh when I was, in, I was in seminary, I was the dorm supervisor, uh, so normally we would do uh, guys' group devotions three times a week, so usually Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, and usually I would preach at least two of those times, and then we'd have maybe one of the other guys preach on the other nights. And so on a Saturday night, uh, it was my turn to preach, and as I was preparing that day to get ready to do dorm devotions with the guys, just I felt very strongly that the Lord wanted us to have a prayer meeting, that I was not supposed to preach. We just needed to have a prayer meeting. And, and we had done things like this before, so it wasn't unusual, but we remember going out there that, that evening and the guys are crowded into this meeting area that we have and there's couches that lie in the walls and they're all crowded in there. And, and I said, fellas, I don't think the Lord would have me to preach tonight. I believe we're just supposed to pray. Which is interesting because we would be helped, if the Lord would lead this way, we would be helped by taking more time to just pray than always hearing preaching. Second uh, Peter chapter 2 says, and first of all, intercessions, supplications, prayers, and giving of thanks be made for all men. It's actually a priority of the church. And so the Lord just had led us to pray, and, and uh, so I opened the prayer time. And we weren't going to pray around. It was just as the Lord leads. I said, we're going to let the Holy Spirit be the conductor of this prayer meeting. So when he prompts you to pray, you pray. And we're just going to let the Lord lead. It's not a Pentecostal thing. It's just uh, sometimes we can get very ritualistic in our pray around in a circle, and actually people will pray when they weren't supposed to pray. So we're just going to let the Lord lead. So I opened the prayer meeting and said, uh, let's just see what the Lord does. And so I opened the prayer meeting, and uh, a guy over here begins to pray. And you can sense right from the beginning, uh, th- this isn't like a, oh, gracious and heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the air that you gave us to breathe. Thank you for the food you put on our table. It wasn't, it wasn't one of those prayers. It was, it was intimate immediately. And then a guy over here begins to pray after he's done. He begins to weep and actually begins to confess sin from that day before. And immediately we knew, okay, so this, is, this is a different prayer meeting. And a guy over here, he begins to pray. And then someone after that uh, starts singing a song. We all joined in together. And then over here, and then this guy prays over here, and, I mean, and then this, this guy begins to weep, and he begins to confess sin. And we prayed for an hour, and it felt like five minutes. And I never prayed through the whole prayer meeting. It was not the preacher leading the prayer meeting. I started it, and I closed it when I felt like we were supposed to be done. But the, the, the experience in that room, we, when we opened our eyes, every single one of us knew, man, God was here. It was incredible. And it felt incredible. But within... Ten minutes of the prayer meeting being over, the guys all get up. They're all excited. They're kind of bouncing around like, man, that was incredible. Hey, God was here. And freshmen and sophomores like they just started being kind of goofy, and, and everybody's kind of frivolous. And, and then I remember starting to hear conversations. A guy goes running out the door like, like oh, this was, that was great. And, and they start being fools. I remember within ten minutes hearing conversations that was just rank foolishness and thinking to myself, How does that happen? How do you go from meeting with God? And I'm telling you, we met with God. It was a spiritual experience I'll never forget. How do we go from just meeting with God to to just stupidity? How did that happen? And I scratched my head, and I couldn't understand it. And I was baffled by it. Fast forward about three years later, I'm married. I'm in my own apartment, uh, and I'm dry spiritually, very dry. And one morning in particular, I, I got up early before the rest of my family and Went out there and sat down at the table and said, Father, you've got to meet with me. As a husband and a father, I'm failing, Lord. I can't get anything out of the word, Lord. I'm dry. I need the living waters, Lord. I'm crying out for the living waters. Please, God, you've got to meet with me. And that morning in my prayer time, I had about an hour with the Lord. He met with me. And I'm telling you, it was, was, God came down in that prayer time. It was so real. It was like that prayer time back in the dorm. But when I got finished with that prayer meeting, I was so moved by the fact that little old me, I've got no staff position, I've got, I'm just a church member, I'm a nobody, that God who created the universe, chose to come down and speak to me and minister to me. And there was a particular need that we had, and God used his word to direct me. I'm going to deliver, and there was confidence, and there was security. And I came out of that prayer time knowing God had instructed me, knowing God had spoken to me. It was so powerful, and I was moved by the fact that God met with me. Now, the aura of that prayer meeting did not end in 10 minutes. It didn't end in an hour. I went to work. I'm painting houses for my father-in-law. I go to work, and normally there's some irritating guys on the the crew, and normally I get irritated by about 11 o'clock. I'm in the flesh because those guys frustrate me, and they're all Green Bay Packers fans, if you know what I mean. And so by noon, I wasn't frustrated. They do things that were irritating. It didn't happen. By by 2 o'clock, I'm thinking to myself, that was a prayer meeting. So when I went home that day, I began to ask, okay, Lord, I had a prayer meeting in the dorms. Within 10 minutes, guys are in foolishness. I have a prayer meeting this morning. It lasts six hours. It was the same feeling. What's the difference? And the difference was, in the dorm, we got excited about how it felt. That's immaturity. Does God give us feelings? You better believe it. He created it. But when you live your spiritual life rising and falling on how things feel, you will be intrinsically always immature. The other prayer meeting, it felt awesome, but I was moved by who met with me. Do you get, do you get the difference? And what Paul excuse me, is saying in this is, look, I've had the spiritual experiences, but the thing that moves me is the fact that I met with God, who is the power, who is the source of all life. From him flows everything. The thing that moves me, the thing that I get excited about, the thing that I'm going to boast about is that God meets with me. Now, he says this, and this is where we're going to finish. He says, now, look, I had the spiritual experience, and lest I get excited about, <laughs> man, now, I am a spiritual person. Because it's very easy. When you start meeting with God and you realize other Christians don't, it would be very easy to start saying, well, you should meet with God. I mean, I do. It would be very easy to do that. And so Paul, Peter, uh, Paul excuse me, says, now, now, the Lord had to make sure that lest I get too excited, he gave me something. So look with me in verse 6. For though, excuse me, verse seven, and lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. So here's what he's saying. God allowed something in my life to remind me, you're weak, Paul. Church family, do you have something in your life right now that reminds you that you're weak? Maybe it's your, I'm not trying to be funny, but maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's your children. Maybe it's your grandchildren. Maybe it's a father-in-law or a mother-in-law. Maybe it's your job situation. And, and to you, it seems like a thorn in the flesh. You know what I mean by that? You know how people will talk about their thorn in the flesh? Boy, that mother-in-law, she's my thorn in the flesh, and we kind of throw it around like it's comical. Okay, sorry. I don't know. I know there's in-laws here, so I don't want to be. I don't. I have in-laws too. But anyways, uh, it's amazing how many times we do that, or we say things like, uh, you know, boy, that that preacher, that pastor, man, he's my thorn in the flesh. We try to bring things up to him, and he doesn't listen to me. Oh, boy, my wife, she's really been my thorn in the flesh. You know, she's going through this time right now, and all my children, man, the things that irritate me, they're my thorn in the flesh. And what we. Ask actually do though we think it humorous is we tell everybody that god allowed me a reason to to know that i'm weak and i'm missing it you know what thorn in the flesh is god allows us to be reminded that i'm weak and when you uh, uh, broadcast that you're frustrated at somebody you've actually just proved that it's not done its work yet in other words, God is not going to remove the thorn in the flesh until it finishes the divine work that God gave it to you for. And in Paul's situation, the Lord didn't remove it, as best we know. Because Paul, God knew, Paul, you are so gifted, and you have been used so much that I have to, for your own good, and for the cause of the gospel, I have to remind you that you're weak. Church family, church family, Are you frustrated with your thorn in the flesh? Are you spitting mad at it? Are you trying to run from it? Are you rejecting it? When God began to deal with me and show me that he was using my father-in-law, who was my boss at the time, to bring me to a more perfect understanding of God's power, my father-in-law no longer looked like he had a horn and tails. I began to realize he was the messenger of God. Though he might have been in the flesh he was irritating, though things that he did I would have disagreed with, God began to show me, Caleb, I will not remove him until you understand why I've given him to you. For Paul, the thorn in the flesh drove him to pray. What's your thorn in the flesh done for you? Has it driven you to complain? Has it driven you to frustration? Has it driven you to try to run from the problem? Because God's trying to remind you that you're weak. And here's the whole conclusion. Paul actually gets a hold of the truth. He says, man, I prayed, and God didn't remove it, and this is the reason why. Because I'm going to experience Christ. He says this, God said to me, Paul, my grace is sufficient. My strength is made perfect in weakness. So Paul responds, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in the things which concern mine infirmities, uh, 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 that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Church family, I want you to think about that phrase, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Is there anybody in here in this room, if you had the option to choose power of Christ resting upon me or no power of Christ resting upon me, what would you choose? All of us would choose power of Christ. But the power of Christ does not come when you've got it spiritually all together. The power of Christ rests upon those who have nothing, who have weakness. When I'm getting ready to preach a meeting, oftentimes I'll feel incredibly nervous. Uh, Even as I was driving down this morning, I found starting those feelings start over again. And what the tempter does, what the accuser of the brethren starts saying is, you've got nothing for those people. You can't give to them. Who do you think you are? You're not even 30. You haven't even been married a decade. Who do you think you are? And that's what the devil does. And instead of saying, oh, man, you're right. I've got nothing in here. And then coming up, standing behind the pulpit, and and, and what we think of humility is actually just pride and saying, you know, you really shouldn't listen to me. I really don't have anything. I really have nothing for you. It's just... It's actually that kind of attitude, though we call it humility, is actually pride. No, what Paul's saying is, look, I've got nothing, so therefore, I've got everything. It's confidence. He has confidence. Not because he's got anything together. He's got confidence in the one who commissioned him. I'll finish with this, and I know I've said that about three times, but I will finish with this. My is closed. Is If this message is true... That God delights to deliver those who are weak. That, God deli- that God's pathway is to deliver those who need him. Would we see this in the scripture anywhere? I believe we see this illustrated in multiple places. Peter walking on water would be one of them. Where Peter standing in the boat, he doesn't even know how to swim. And he says, Lord, if it be thou, be me come. And the Lord says, come. And the Lord was not inviting him to drown. The Lord was inviting him to walk on water. You think about the the amount of time that he spent in the water and the amount of time he spent on the water, he spent, we don't know the exact amount of time, but I think it's safe to say at least 75% of the time that he was out of the boat, he was walking on water. So when God said come, when Jesus said come, it was an invitation to succeed. And Peter climbed out of the boat using physical muscles. But when Peter climbed out of the boat, he was doing that which was impossible because he couldn't do it for himself. That's who God is. But I also see in the Old Testament the example of David. David is a young man, maybe in his early twenties. He's come down to the camp and he has heard that, that across the valley there is a man who has been blaspheming God. According to Levitical law, that giant ought to be stoned to death. And David coming down to the camp hearing as that man is blaspheming their divine Jehovah and nobody is doing anything. And David, who's already seen the lion and the bear, says, come on guys, is there not a cause? Now they look at him and say, go, go back and feed your few sheep. Who do you think you are? And, and what humility... Uh, fake humility would be like you're right guys I mean what do I I've got nothing and I can't even I mean I can't even fight I've never even tried armor on that's what fake humility would do do. but he was not uh, he had not fake humility he had confidence not in himself but in God look I already have seen the lion and the bear Uh, what is this uncircumcised Philistine like look I've struggled when God didn't when when we had bills we couldn't pay it uh, and God delivered us in a miraculous way what is this pornography addiction (laughs) Look, I've seen God do it. Of course he can do it again. That's what, that's what David is getting at. So the news gets around. Hey, there's this cocky kid that thinks that he can defeat this giant. And so Saul, who's supposed to have been the leader, who had seen God work, Paul, who had all the human giftings, should have been, or excuse me, Saul, excuse me, Saul should have been the one who could have gone down there to fight Goliath, and he can't. So he says to David, hey, try on my human strength. Put on this helmet and put on my armor. And David says, no, 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 I haven't proved these things, but I, there's someone I have proved and so he walks down into the valley, and Goliath is waiting for him. And Goliath says, you sent me this, this youth? I'm going to feed his flesh to the birds. And what is David's response? No, no, Goliath, you got all wrong. He's standing there in his, just his cloth clothing. He has no armor. He has no sword. There is a man who is nine feet tall, uh, clad in armor with a, with a, a, a shield-bearer, likely, and he's standing there. And, and, and David looks back at him and says, no, actually, I'm going to feed your flesh to the birds. Now, to us, we would say, man, that kid's got spunk. He's got a little attitude. He, you know, he walks with a spring in his step. No, he didn't. It wasn't pride at all. He's looking at him, and he said, and here's the, here's the key. He said, I'm going to feed your flesh to the birds, for the battle, say it with me, is the Lord's. He got a hold of it. I don't have anything. I, I don't even know how to handle a sword. But I've seen God deliver I know his ways. I've seen his works. What are you to my great Jehovah? The battle's the Lord's. Church family, what Paul is getting across, what Peter experienced on the water, what David knew is, I've got nothing. So therefore, I'm in the perfect position to see the power of Christ. Church family, this morning, would you be willing to embrace your bankruptcy? To stop trying For you, tomorrow morning, when you rise in the morning, your responsibility is not to sit sit down with the Lord and say, God, I'm going to try. Your responsibility is to say, Father, I've heard that you're an amazing person. Jesus, I've heard you're a friend, but I haven't met you. Yeah, I'm saved, but I don't know you closely. And Lord, I need you to show up. Would you do something for me that I cannot do for myself? The power of Christ. Most gladly, therefore, I get excited about infirmities, about reproaches, about necessities for when I am weak, then am I strong. May I ask God to bow your heads with me this morning and close your eyes? I I don't know what you are struggling with or dealing with, but as I said earlier, if you're anything like me, which you are, you have some needs this morning. There's some of you that have been struggling with a besetting sin. There's some of you that have been struggling with a a co-worker that they they just irritate you. And you desperately need the power of Christ as I do. Would we be willing this morning to begin getting excited about the fact that, wait, I'm weak. Of course I'm weak. That means God wants to deliver me. This morning, if God spoke to you in a specific way, whether it be that you this morning began to realize, I'm weak. Maybe this morning you began to realize the power comes because I'm weak. Maybe this morning you were stirred by the fact that God's ability is far beyond anything you have tapped into yet. But this morning, if God specifically spoke to you, would you be willing to be honest and say, Father, I heard you. You spoke with me. Would you be willing to raise your hand and say, Yes, Lord, I heard you. Yes, a number of hands over here, a number of hands there. Yes, a number of hands, which is likely because you're just like me and I need this. Can I ask you all, this is going to be a little bit different. I don't know if you're used to invitations, but I just want to ask you to stand with me. I think it'd be helpful this morning. Let's just all go ahead and all stand. And all I'm going to do is I'm going to invite you that if God stirred you And you need to transact with the Lord right now. What I want to encourage you to do is to actually sit back down in your pew and have a time with the Lord. And the reason I do this is because sometimes we get fearful. And it's helpful to make a move, to actually make a physical action of humility before the Lord. And so if God has stirred you and you need to talk with the Lord right now, you need to lay out your weakness. You need to uh, lay your your burden before the Lord. Why don't you just go ahead and sit back down and you have a talk with the Lord right now. You just, just do business with him. If it's a person that you've been witnessing to and they just won't listen and you feel exhausted and need to get excited about your weakness and the power of Christ.